Before we get started, we just wanted to read a quick disclaimer. First and foremost, this is a comedy slash true crime podcast. We are a few guys who like to laugh and crack jokes. We understand the nature of the topic is very disheartening and grim, but our aim here is to bring to light these real-life situations so you, the listener, can be more aware of your surroundings and hopefully laugh alongside with us. We will not make jokes about the victims or the families impacted by the unfortunate situations, but we will make jokes about the perpetrator or anywhere we see fit. If you don't believe people should be joking about this subject, or if you are expecting a more serious retelling of the event, or if you do not like commentary and banter on the subject, then this is not the podcast for you. All right. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Brian. And I'm Will. And I'm Octavio. And uh, today, <laughs> we're going to be covering the second part to the craziness that is Skinwalker Ranch. All right, Brian, you can take over again. <laughs> no you're doing pretty good man keep going just finish all, right, it. All, right, all right all right i'm finishing uh so let's just jump right into it and get this thing started join us in these bloodthirsty times serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one they are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times What's up, everybody? Uh, thank you, Mr. Brain, for that <laughs> wonderful intro. That was amazing. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, I, I thought I caught you guys off guard. Sweet. Very sweet. Um, so, yeah, what's uh, what's going on with you guys? How did you guys, uh, how was your weekend? How was everything going? Good. Good, good. There's a gnarly storm again, but, you know, it's good. Well, yeah, you live in the uh, dirty south. Yeah, but yeah, this, time there was, this time there was like golf ball-sized hail that destroyed a bunch of cars. Oh dang! Yeah, but unfortunately, not mine. Not mine though, so I can't claim insurance. Oh yeah, shucks! Nice. All right, dang. All right, well, you know, let's let's get into this, dude. All right, <laughs> we're on some time constraints yeah. here. Well, not, uh... not even that. This is uh, this is a lot to go through this time. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, yeah. With that being said, we hope that you guys uh, liked our last episode. Uh, you know, so we're going to be continuing the story. Uh, the second part of Skinwalker Ranch. And again, it really does have, you know, a lot of different elements to it. And uh, we're going to be getting into the parts where Robert Bigelow and his team of investigators got involved. And much like before, uh, you know, nothing has been definitive, definitively concluded. And uh, much of the tale can be chalked up to mysterious circumstances. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, we're we're just gonna go ahead and pick it up right from where we last left off, um, and so let's just jump right into it. Now, after being tormented to the point of mental breakdown, the Sherman family had nowhere to turn. They were stuck on a property that went beyond their understanding, and to make matters worse, they were facing financial ruin. Fortunately, someone had heard their cry for help. And in March 1996, around the same time the Sherman family were considering leaving the ranch, billionaire real estate developer Robert Bigelow was busy putting together an organization that would become to known as the National Institute of Discovery Science. 
or NIDS for short. And uh, Bob Bigelow was a real estate tycoon. He made his fortune in hotels, mainly the budget suites of America. And he was based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, and was basically like the Tom DeLonge of the 90s because he's super interested in UFOs and aliens and pretty much all paranormal stuffs. And he threw his own money at investigating the unexplained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and NIDS was definitely an ambitious project and not one that really, uh, you know, anyone had really seen the likes of before. And it was well-funded, it was highly qualified, and state-of-the-art equipped team of scientists that could deploy anywhere in the country at a moment's notice and investigate events of high strangeness. Uh, never before had a scientific organization been formed with a significant amount of funding in order to bring systematic you know, analysis and scrutiny to what was essentially paranormal and supernatural research. Okay, well, <clears throat> not necessarily never before, because just about a year or two before he established NIDS, Bob Big Bucks Bigelow, he put together a ragtag group of, invest of investigators to investigate UFOs and aliens and stuff, and he would pay them a real salary out of his own pocket. The problem, however, was that he chose members of already established UFO hunter, uh, group hunters. Um, like, they would, there are, like, remember we talked about them in uh, the, what's it, the Rendlesham? Like yeah, MUFON the, uh, and yeah, MUFON and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. So Boba he took, and yeah, so <laughs> he took those types and he took like three different groups and he mashed them all together and promised them all the funding they could ever need. And his only requirement is that they all work together. But I, I don't know what he expected from straight up UFO nerds. But they just bitched and argued with each other and fought over who was in charge. But everybody was too busy repping their own clique to follow the one rule Robert had. And it was summed up by a simple, they fucked it up. Yeah. And uh, the thing about NIDS is that they weren't just some college dropouts that never really made it into their respective fields of study. And they were definitely not some armchair scientists who watched a few YouTube videos and, you know, Facebook memes and all of a sudden they know everything about how science works. No, no, no. They, none of that nonsense. Well, it's funny because his original group was basically that. His last attempt at putting a super group together was just full of YouTube's conspiracy guys. <laughs> and just like basically, oh, yeah, I've seen that over there. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know what I'm talking about. But uh, YouTube professionals. Yeah. yeah. So none of the UFO guys that he had before were any kind of scientist or expert in any field at all. The UFO hunters were more or less your run of the mill basement dwellers. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And again, these were PhD professors that were qualified in various subjects, ranging from biochemistry, psychology, astrophysics, and veterinary science. More importantly, Bigelow was careful to only recruit candidates with a skeptical mind. Now, field investigators that would, you know, always look for irrational explanation first and foremost, and leave the pseudoscience, you know, where it belongs, which is in the trash. Cough, astrology, cough. I don't think you're supposed to say <laughs> cough. I think that was yeah. more of an audio Cough, cues. astrology. <laughs> that was just the audio. Astrology. <laughs> no, yeah, cough, astrology. <laughs> <laughs> now, in addition to these highly qualified individuals, he assembled... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, do we all lose audio? 
Nope. So in addition to these highly in addition to these highly qualified individuals, he assembled a world-class advisory board, the members of which were handpicked from a wide array of disciplines, and this group was to evaluate evidence that was gathered from the field team's activities. All in all, NIDS would be composed of about 25 members, the majority of which were from the scientific community, but it would also include security personnel recruited from former military circles. Now, two of the most prominent members of the scientific team were physicist Eric Davis and biochemist Colm Kelleher. Kelleher would go on to document both the Sherman's and Nid's experiences in his book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, which he wrote in collaboration with George Knapp. Now, shortly after NIDS was formed, see here, they heard echoes in the press regarding a, such a small ranch in the north of Utah, which was apparently being visited by UFOs on a daily basis. And that book, uh, Hunt for Skidwalker, that was our main source for this whole thing that we go through. Hmm. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Terry Sherman had reluctantly approached a local newspaper at the beginning of the year to report the strange happenings on his property, almost as if it were a cry for help. Now, Terry had a suspicion that the majority of the activity was somehow related to secretive military technology. Now, Terry didn't believe in aliens or extraterrestrials or any of the tales of Native American folklore, and he hoped that by going to the papers and bringing attention to the strange phenomena, he would get whoever it was who, who was doing these things to back off. And in the summer of 1996, Bigelow called a meeting to discuss the case. And in many ways, this was the perfect opportunity for NIDS. They could set up a lab out in the field, away from prying eyes, and they could study a wide variety of phenomena that was occurring on a daily basis and was of the precise nature of which the organization was formed. So much like the opportunity with Terry on purchasing the property, perhaps it was a little too good to be true. You know, within a matter of weeks, the NIDS team had met with the Shermans, and after hearing their unbelievable stories, NIDS expressed their interest in purchasing the property from them. Yeah, no joke, dude. They went from like hearing about the ranch to being curious about the property and then buying it in a matter of like five weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> so so Terry is uh, like a no-nonsense type of guy. Absolutely, yeah. 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 He's like, no, not aliens. Nah, none of that shit. It's... Yeah. Uh, it's got to be humans with some crazy technology, man. Yeah, the absolutely. He, yeah, he definitely government. chalked it up to the government first and foremost. So um, now, whilst Gwen and the children were desperate to move and would have been happy to never step foot on the property again, Terry was a very stubborn man and was not quite ready to leave. He was angry because he felt as if he was being run off of his land and would bother him even more was that he still didn't know what was behind the phenomena. However, he had to do what was best for his family and he grudgingly agreed, although he did offer to become the ranch manager for the NIDS team. You know, he was keen to see how their investigation went and what answers they might find. 
if only to get some closure from what he and his family suffered through in the preceding two years. Naznids was a team that was used to working in labs all day. You know, they didn't know the first thing about running a ranch, and so they would happily accept Terry's offer. It's funny because he only moved about 25 miles away from the ranch anyway. Yeah, he said he just like moved right down the street. Yeah, dude. He was only 25 miles away. So, you know, he's he gave up basically his own property to run theirs. Right. Yeah. That's just, it is what it is, man. And, you know, along with the property, you know, they also purchased livestock to keep as bait. And Terry also housed some of his own cattle there for the same purpose. And by September that year, NIDS had moved their observation trailer and mobile laboratory onto the property. The field team consisted of four scientists and a group of assistant investigators who were stationed at the ranch permanently around the clock. Now the field team's role was to collect and gather evidence and present it in monthly meetings to the advisory board. There was some pushback on this front from Terry because he had been dealing with this phenomena, whatever it was, for over a year and a half and thought that less was more. He thought that instead of outright setting up on the land, they should have set up a base like a ways off the property and snuck onto the property as quietly as possible every night to observe with minimal technological equipment in case the stuff that they were researching was sensitive to all the new frequencies. Uh, he actually said that the NIDS team, the tack that they chose was like a bull in a china shop. So on, on the very first day the team arrived, they drove up the long driveway where they got their first glimpse of the incredible beauty of the property. With its lush pastures and high ridges, the allure of the area was undeniable and the NIDS team felt confident in their mission. But literally, as soon as they stepped one foot on the ground as they exited their vehicles, a sense of something not being quite right washed over them. But these are professionals, and feelings do not count as measurable data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can say that again, brother. Amen. Mm-hmm. Heard that. Amen. So they ignored essentially their gut feelings. Terry introduced himself and his family to the NIDS group, and Kelleher remembers thinking the family looked like they hadn't slept in months, but he wouldn't know the extent of what they had been through till much later. So the first thing they did was let Terry show them around the property, and he took them to the hot spots uh, that he had found on the property. The first thing they saw was the corpses of two mutilated cattle of a neighboring ranch that were under the fence line. So NIDS is made up of a bunch of scientists from all different disciplines, and a lot of them were more adjusted to seeing dead animals like the vets and you know the more uh, earth-based um, scientists, but others like the astrophysicists they struggled to keep his breakfast down at the sight of the mutilated cattle. So moving on, Terry took them to a clearing with three foot high grass and in the middle of the clearing, Nids noticed three circles of dried dead grass. It was where my dogs died, Terry told them. The scientists could see this still really bothered him. <laughs> no, that was really good, man. <laughs> I feel like Terry was with us. Yeah. yeah. So... Next, he showed them large holes in the ground, and Terry explained that when he first found them, they looked as though they were made by a cookie cutter with very exact straight lines. But over time, the rain and elements had softened the holes, so they just looked like regular holes now. Mm -hmm. 
About 500 yards to the west of there, they saw the next corpse that would mutilate the cow. This one, however, had been dead for about a year, and for some reason, it had not fully decomposed. And Terry asked the veterinarian of the group what could have slowed down the process this much, because normally, it takes no more than a few weeks for a, a full decom. But the answers the vet gave were less than satisfactory, and they all knew it. Because at this point, it was just easier to believe that Terry was just plain wrong about the timeline and pretty much everything else but boy were they wrong the nits team decided that their plan of attack would be a two-part investigation and that phase one which was basically visual confirmation and recording in a scientific manner that aligned with the guidelines set out by the board they estimated phase one would take a few weeks phase two would be the study and capturing of the phenomenon they would never reach phase two mm -hmm. yeah and the first thing that the team did was they ran a whole bunch of tests. Now, the strange events and phenomena that the Shermans had described were far too varied to pin down to any one explanation. And the team's initial thoughts was that there might be a psychological or environmental angle to consider. So they began to ask a slew of questions, as any skeptic would. Things like, were the Shermans lying for attention? Had Terry and his family been suffering from a mass delusion? Were there plants on the land that emitted spores with hallucinogenic properties? Or was the family's water supply contaminated? Other questions began to enter their mind as well. Things like, did the ranch have areas with intense electromagnetic fields? Were there any instances of very low or ultra-low frequencies, otherwise known as infrasound, something that we've covered in the yeah, past. Yeah, that's, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's exactly and what I was thinking. Exactly. Now, were there also any fault lines running across the property, creating a situation of mild tectonic or seismic stress, which is thought to be the cause of light anomalies or visual hallucinations? So, essentially, they thought their brains are manipulated in one way or another. Either they're high as fuck, or there's waves that are messing with their brains. Yeah, there's, you know, they're just trying to figure out what it is that may be causing these sort of, you know, these stories. What can they chalk it up to? Yeah. And these were the most rational explanations that they can come up with. And what did they come up there's with? A, mm. Now, the a, short a answer. Movie. There's um, a movie about uh, spores. Is it called Spores? Oh, The Happening? No. The Happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mark it's, Wahlberg. Yeah. It's coming Mark this Mark. way. It's coming. <laughs> the guy just lays in front of his own lawnmower. Okay. Yeah. It's now, the trees, man. It's the trees. Exactly. So, there's some uh, bias to uh, that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. Continue. Sorry. All right. Yeah, no worries, man. You're good. Now, the short answer to all these questions was a resounding no. Uh, although in some instances, it would take longer to confirm that, especially regarding the psychological factors. Despite this, aside from a few strange lights seen in the sky, the remainder of 1996 would be uneventful. And the NIDS team were initially doubtful of this, you know, some of the bizarre stories that they had been told. But all of that would change in the coming year. In short, the longer the NIDS team spent on the ranch, the more they would come to the terrifying realization that the Sherman family was telling the truth. So not much happened those first few months, but little 
but the little bit they did see was basically that Leo DiCaprio meme that says, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Mm. So the first thing they saw was a yellow light off in the distance that seemed to be getting bigger, but then they realized it was actually coming toward them and moved in a 360 degree circle above their head as if doing recon or something, and then it took off. But Nids noticed that the entire time, no sound was coming from whatever it was. During the first few months, they had two teams go out every night to opposite ends of the property and only communicated when absolutely necessary through the walkie-talkies. They also canvassed the area around the ranch and interviewed the Ute locals, and they learned that locals all had their own stories to tell, meaning it wasn't just the Sherman's property that this was happening, but all over the Uinta Basin. One neighbor in particular told a gnarly story. The book doesn't use his real name, but they call him Mr. Gonzalez. He tells Nids that he looked out his window and saw a cow laying out in a pasture that it didn't belong in, so he goes out to check on it. When he gets to the animal, he sees that it's shivering violently, and upon further inspection realizes that two of its legs are broken. So Mr. Gonzalez rushes back to get a blanket for the poor creature, but considering he considered getting his gun to put it out of its misery. He went back to cover the animal after being gone not even five minutes, but the cow was gone, and the area around had no trees or big rocks for the animal to hide behind. He went back to his house, and about an hour later he looked out his window again when he saw the cow out in the field again, this time a little bit further away from where it initially was. When he reached the cow, he re-examined it and realized that now all four legs were broken. So he went back and got his gun and put it out of his misery. He told the NIDS team that the only explanation that fit the facts was that it had been lifted into the air and then dropped, breaking two of its legs. And when it disappeared again, it had been dropped again, breaking the remaining two legs. NIDS didn't argue with that assessment. They saw a few more lights, but winter was coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> uh, just like... Nailed it. Just like in Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, just like in Game of Thrones, winter in northwest Utah is brutal and can, can get down to 30 below. Mm-hmm. Terry basically told them to not come back until March when temps went back to tolerable, and he would call them if he needed them. And on January 21st, 1997, Terry called Nids and told them there had been an attack on three of his calves. Uh, and it had happened during a particularly gnarly snowstorm, so a predator attack was not likely. The injuries the calf sustained confused the vet when he was finally able to make it to the property due to the intense snowstorm. What the vet saw was little circular cuts into the eyelids of the two animals, and the third had its ear cut off cleanly as if it had been done with like scissors or a very sharp knife. Two vets had shown up to inspect the animal, and the first agreed that these injuries were not normal and did not line up with a predator attack. But the second, more senior veterinarian, said that it was likely a predator attack either by a cat or a coyote. Uh, That doesn't make sense to me, but... (laughs) The two vets had a private, heated argument, and when they came back, the senior vet again said it was a predator attack. And when... What? What? Did I'll I tell you. Did I'll I tell you what happened, Octavio. Oh no, the skinwalkers got him. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So the two vets had a private heated argument. Yeah, so I didn't and, cut out. And when they came yeah. back, the senior vet again said it was a predator attack and to be on the lookout while the other vets stood there clearly angry. 
This would be a normal occurrence because even country vets wanted nothing to do with the unknown for fear of being ridiculed and possibly losing business over it. At the end of February, Terry brought his cattle back onto the ranch and he called into his team in Vegas and told them that when he first brought the cattle onto the property two years ago, things really escalated quickly and hopefully this time would be no different. Nids didn't have to wait long to see that Terry was right. Yeah, and this is where things start to get pretty intense. Now, on March 9th, 1997, Terry and Gwen discovered the carcass of a black Angus calf lying on the grass a little over 100 yards away from the home. Now, Gwen never really visited the ranch since they moved away from it, but on this day had been helping Terry tag some of the animals in the pasture. Now, they had tagged this particular calf, and then they walked 300 yards across the field to tag the others, which were grazing to the south. While they were in the middle of tagging, the dog they had brought with him began to growl. Its hair stood on end while it was looking back towards the ranch house. The blue healer they had with them, it actually took off in the opposite direction out of pure fear, and they never saw that dog ever again. Yeah, wow. Dude was um, just like, I'm out. He's out. Yeah, fuck out this on. shit. I'm out of here, man. So Terry and Gwen looked in the direction of where the dog was growling, and they saw the mother of the first calf and that she was limping back and forth, clearly out of her wits. When they ran over to see what was going on, they found the poor calf on the ground. Its entire abdominal cavity, including all of its organs, had been removed. The only things that remained were its head, legs, and spinal column, with some of its ribcage still intact. It was also missing an ear, which it looks like had been sliced off with an extremely sharp instrument. The most confusing part about all this was that there was not one single drop of blood on the grass around the animal. The ear that had been sliced off was the one that they had tagged just 45 minutes earlier. During that time, something had removed more than 40 pounds of meat from this poor little calf in broad daylight and in full view of the rancher and his wife, though they hadn't seen or heard anything. When Terry discovered the calf, he immediately called the NITS team in Las Vegas, and five hours later, the team was standing over the mutilated animal. And it's actually funny because in the book, Cole makes it a point to let it be known that never before had paranormal investigators had access to a private jet. And in fact, most of them didn't even have the cash for a rental car. Like, oh, wow. He just, yeah, like, we got we got a jet, which you got, yeah. you know? <laughs> so got private jet, got to get on my G6. <laughs> Uh, so, in my opinion, I think it's kind of important to note that some, not all, of the events happened when the NITS team were not on the property and were in Vegas, even though when they got back, they found evidence of what Terry had described. Um, some of this is based on Terry's account and not witnessed first band by the NITS team. So, just a few times, keep that in mind that this is just Terry's point of view, and right. NITS, NITS didn't actually experience this, and this is one of them. So when they got there, they said that the first impression they got was that it had been ripped apart by a giant beast. One of its leg bones was laying 10 feet away. He noted that even with a young animal, the amount of force needed to rip off a leg completely was enormous. The young calf looked as though it had been laid out in a position on purpose. All the legs were splayed out in different directions away from the body 
and considering how mutilated the cow was, the positioning seemed to take some finesse to accomplish. Uh, he noticed that there was no smell to the corpse, which normally would have been present seven hours after death. Also, the insides of the animal were incredibly clean and pink, uh, with no blood at all. It was laid on its back with its ribs sticking straight up and its head tilted sideways. The NITS team scoured the area looking for any tracks of what could have done this, but the ground was too hard to show any animal prints or footprints, but the tire tracks of any uh, buddy who would have drove up would have been clearly visible. They also searched for any blood, but literally not one drop of blood was found anywhere around or near the area. Yeah, and the NIDS veterinarian was baffled because the cuts were too clean and precise with no spillage of blood. He concluded that no animal or predator that he was aware of could have done something this clean. When asked if they noticed anything unusual prior to the incident, Terry and Gwen reported that they smelled a heavy musk odor in the area. So this is a very terrifying thing to witness. Like, can you imagine stumbling upon something like that? Like, how would you even be able to explain something like that to someone? I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And now what's even more crazy is that this sort of thing is apparently it's a global phenomenon. Like this happens all over the world. And my buddy Will here is going to be sent out to the field to give us a live interview with the baby calf being mutilated mutilated in real time at night in the forest while wearing hundreds of pounds of meat. So be sure to ask those hard-hitting questions, Will. And oh yeah, and, and don't get your ears sliced off. Over to you, Will. Thank you, Brian. Yes, I'm here live at Skinwalker Ranch, and this meat is starting to stink. I'm here at the edge of the farm, what seems to be the remains of Betsy, the prized baby <laughs> calf. And wait, I see a pair of eyes staring at me through the tree line. I thought it was an animal, but it looked almost human, only red. Hello? Is someone there? <laughs> oh, shit, no! Please, no! Will, 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 hello? Will? Hello. I think we, we seem to have lost Will. We lost him. Oh, sorry, uh, due to technical difficulties, we're going to have to uh, continue. Yeah, he actually thought I was there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Uh, but seriously, these, these cow mutilations were pretty nutty. And there's a guy by the name of Chuck Zakowski. It's fun to say. Mike Wazowski who spent more than 30 years investigating UFO sightings and unexplained animal mutilations. He was met, uh, or he has met numerous farm owners and still he cannot explain the mysterious deaths. Now, what makes these deaths terrifying is the condition of the carcasses. Now, these cattle would have massive wounds who many would describe as if they were caused by a laser beam and yet not a drop of blood was found. And these wounds would range from having the anus bored out, like Ron Jeremy bored out. <laughs> Ron Jeremy, that's the name of the cow, right? All right. Yeah. yeah yep. I got you. All right. <laughs> they, would have their heads, yeah. they would have their heads and necks skinned, but their height appeared to be cauterized. Eyes, tongues, and vital organs excised from the carcass, but with surgical precision. And there was one particular case in Rush, Colorado, at Glenda's Ranch that was even more mysterious. While 
Chuck was investigating the carcasses, he would note that there was no smell associated with the wounds. And when he rubbed his hands over the ribs, he felt grooves. Upon further inspection, he noticed etchings originating on the spine near the base of the skull and running consistently down all the ribs. Now he would pull out a measuring tape and find that the positioning of the etchings was so precise, the differences were minuscule. And again, he would note that there was no trace of blood inside or outside of the carcass. And I could babble on for days about the missing tracks and strange burn marks around the carcasses, but let's get back to the story. Holy chet. That's crazy, man. It's crazy so, fool. The, yeah, it's crazy it's fool. fool. And this is the weird thing is that this has been happening all over the world. Like I know that recently there's been a similar case like this in Oregon, like the southeastern region of Oregon. Um, so this is, um, you know, just kind of happening in many different locations aside from this one on Skinwalker Ranch. Now, back at the ranch, after the vet had taken samples from the calf, the rest of the team began to search for tracks. In doing so, they happened to pass one of the kennels and noticed that all the dogs were huddled inside. And it should be mentioned here that at this point, Nids had strategically placed three large observation towers on the property. Each was surrounded by a chain link fence and inside housed a number of dogs. Now canines seemed to have an uncanny ability to sense when something strange was about to happen. So the team used them as a sort of like biosensor. Now Terry remarked how the dogs hadn't ventured out all day. And in fact, they would refuse to leave their shelter for many days after this event with the calf. And slowly but surely, the NIDS team would begin to understand why. Because something was lurking on the ranch. Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. <laughs> he's, he's running on all fours. Yeah, don't get bored out. <laughs> now, at around 11 p.m. on the 12th of March, the dogs had begun to bark and howl at something on the far side of the pasture. Terry and the NIDS team had been sitting inside the observation trailer at this time, but they soon piled into a truck and headed towards the disturbance. The 4x4 truck had a bright spotlight attached to the roof, and as they turned a corner, the beam washed over a patch of distant trees. And in that moment, they saw a pair of yellow orbs sitting about 20 feet up off the, uh, 20 feet up into one of the trees. And it was a huge pair of eyes that was reflecting the light. Terry stopped the truck and reached behind him for his rifle. And when he exited the vehicle, he leaned on the door and took aim. Not gonna let it get another calf. Terry growled. It didn't even move as Terry locked his sights. It just sat there, staring right back at him. The moment the rifle was fired, it echoed across the pasture. And then the eyes blinked out of existence, and a loud thud was heard as whatever it was had fallen from the trees. Now Terry got back into the vehicle and drove toward the patch of trees, stopping about 40 feet away. Now there was no sign of the huge animal under the tree or anywhere else. Everything else was silent as Terry and the NIDS team spread out and entered the tree line. They were about five yards apart from each other when Terry shouted, I see him! And then two more loud shots rang out. 
<laughs> I guess it's only, oh, shit, it's only one. It's a misfire. <laughs> one, one shot, two bullets. Now, as the Nids team ran towards him, they heard a commotion in the branches ahead. As something heavy blundered through the thicket, moving away from them, and it had disappeared by the time they reached the rancher. Looked like a huge dog, but bipedal. Terry exclaimed, <laughs> and after searching for two hours in the darkness, the team had only found two large footprints spaced 20 feet apart from each other, and they were each 14 inches long and exhibited huge claw indentations. This whole thing is gnarly because, as we know, Terry is an all-around badass and an expert marksman. And a oh, that's the second shot. Yep, oh. I guess that's a... <laughs> sorry, oh, shit. sorry. Uh, I was oh, looking at that, that was a dust pop. I was, <laughs> dude, I was looking through the barrel when that happened. <laughs> I was wondering sorry, where that bullet Nick, went. Expert Nick marksman. discharged, boy. Don't worry about that one. So, a 40-foot shot is pretty much point blank. <laughs> And he knew he had hit his mark on both animals he saw, but there wasn't any blood or fur or feathers to be found, only this one footprint at first, then another footprint 20 feet away. But it was only one print at a time as if the creature only had one leg or a 20 foot stride. So the giant claws or maybe talons of the print were on the back of the foot and the impression left was several inches deep indicating a heavy creature and judging by what Terry saw, he would guess it was about 400 pounds. He thought, judging by the print, that it, it might be a bird of prey or even a raptor. Uh, the Nids team were left incredibly unnerved because their sleeping quarters were less than 100 yards from where a possibly injured and angry large beast was last seen. <laughs> Holy shit. Now, the rest of the month passed without further incident. But the dogs and the livestock continued to act strange, and they had a hunted look on them and were on edge, as if they knew or could sense that there was a predator in the area. On April 1st, another calf vanished without a trace, and had been the fifth animal to disappear that year. There were no blood tracks, or there was no blood or tracks found, and it was simply there one minute and it was gone the next. On the second, one of the weirdest and possibly most famous of all the events would take place on the ranch, and it involved four of Terry's prized Angus, Angus bulls, which had temporarily moved back onto the property out of convenience. Now Gwen had joined him once again to help him out with a few jobs, and they were in a truck heading from, east, from the east side of the ranch over to the west when they were passing the homestead and they looked across the nearby corral and saw their four black Angus bulls staring at them. Each one was worth thousands of dollars, and with the four in the corral, they were easily valued at over 12 grand. Now, with the cattle mutilations and disappearances still fresh in their mind, Gwen commented on how she would be devastated if anything happened to those four bulls. Yeah, when they described this scene in the book, this all seems so to me, anyway, movie-style dramatic, and yeah. it plays into the thoughts that the Shermans are making a lot of this up. You know what I mean? Like, the way she just happens to tell Terry that she would be mm -hmm. devastated if something happened to them is, in my opinion, just too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, although, you are right, though, Brian. I, I heard about Skinwalker Ranch a long time ago, and before we deep-dived into this story, uh, I remember the bull story the most. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, Brain, you were saying? Yes. So at the west end of the ranch, they repaired a broken fence line and tagged a couple of calves, which had been born the previous evening. All of this was done and took no longer than an hour. And on the way back, they turned a corner and in the track heading back to the hem- homestead, uh, their hearts suddenly skipped a beat. Their four black Angus bulls were no longer in the corral, and Terry jumped out of the vehicle and ran over to the enclosure. The gates were still locked, but the bulls were nowhere to be seen, and he couldn't believe his eyes. Now, next to the corral was an old trailer which hadn't been used in years. Now, Terry happened to jump up onto the feeding trough and looked in through one of the skylights. To his utter amazement, he saw all four bulls standing silently crammed into the tiny space and they seemed to be in some sort of trance. They're in here! Terry shouted to his wife and banged on the side of the trailer. When he did, the bulls woke up from whatever hypnotic state they were in and then they seemed to realize where they were and began to panic, kicking and thrashing wildly inside of the narrow trailer. In the end, the back door was kicked off by one of the bulls and they all ran out into the sunlight. Now it took Terry and his wife several hours to calm the bulls down and gently move them back into the corral. So it was the, the next day when the NITS team showed up on the f- fancy Vegas jet and they met Terry and Gwen in the command center. Terry told them all the story of what happened with the bulls and as soon as he was done, and um, yeah. <laughs> looks like uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the end of the story there, folks. So yeah. <laughs> as soon as he was done, they gathered their equipment and ran outside to the bullpen and the trailer. Now, when the NIDS team inspected the trailer, they did so in a state of mild disbelief. It would have taken hours to get one of those angry bulls into such a confined space, let alone four. In fact, there was no way that four bulls would ever entertain the idea of sharing such a small trailer with one another. And the only entrance into the trailer from the corral was through a door which was wired shut. The NIDS team found old cobwebs stretched out across the inside door panel and the frame, proving that this door had not been opened in a very long time. And this was baffling because there was no other way for the bull to get into the trailer from the cattle pen. And upon further investigation, the team found that the bars of the corral had somehow been highly magnetized, an anomaly which dissipated over time. And so this prompted the NIDS team to scan for magnetic fields across the entire property. And just like Terry had explained, the trailer was straight up destroyed on the inside and there was bullshit all over the walls and stuff. And it smelled real bad. Bullshit. Yep, lots of bullshit. So the space was impossibly small for such large creatures to go into willingly. They shifted their attention to the bullpen and found that the metal bars closest to the trailer were highly magnetized and the needle on their instruments went off the scale uh, while the magnetic field on the other side of the pen was absent completely. They routinely checked the magnetic field around the bullpen and noted that the magnetization was gone 48 hours later. As they went back to the command center, Terry tells them another story that happened just a few hours before the NIDS team had arrived. 
Terry said that he and Gwen were on the property on high alert after almost losing their prize bulls and were on the west end of the property watching their cattle graze. When they noticed about 150 feet away, a single cow was making its way towards a salt lake when it stopped abruptly and it lowered its head and started backing away in fear from something they could not see. Having dealt with the phenomenon for so long, Terry learned a few tricks and he had discovered that whenever the thing, whatever it was, came around, it had a strong gravitational pull and could be tracked using a compass. So Terry runs to his truck and quickly grabs his compass and the needle immediately pointed to directly in front of the cow. The cow all of a sudden turned around and took off running. They noticed that the rest of the cows that had been grouped together were being separated into two groups as if something was running between them and they were moving out of the way. This led the two groups to stampede in opposite directions, but the whole time the compass needle followed the invisible whatever it was and moved south. He had tracked this phenomenon for exactly 11 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's fucking crazy, dude. The, the parting of the cows. Yeah, just something invisible running right in between them. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Now, sometime later that month, Colm Kelleher was investigating some strange tracks which had been found on the south end of the ranch when an overpowering musk came over him. It was an odd smell because he had been stationed on the property for a while now and he had been accustomed to the various smells of the fauna and flora. Um, but this was different. About 50 yards away, he could see his teammate picking his way through some Russian olives. And a Russian olive is like a type of tree with like little red seeds or berries, you know, on the ends of branches. So, and they have a very particular scent associated with them. So Colm concluded that he, what he was smelling wasn't coming from the tree and couldn't attribute the smell to anything. Suddenly, the hairs on the back of his neck stood up and a chill ran down his spine. Something was close by, but he couldn't see it, but he could feel its presence, and it was watching him. Chalking it up to his imagination, he gritted his teeth and continued with his task at hand. Now gradually, the feeling subsided and the musky odor receded, and he said this was one of the only times when he felt he was in actual danger. When he asked his teammate a little bit later, he claimed that he also had a strange feeling of being watched and that he picked up on the strange scent as well. He also mentioned that his field compass began acting erratically and it began pointing in the direction where the musk odor was strongest and only returning when the smell had dissipated. And these magnetic interferences were the first vague patterns the investigators had seen. So Terry said that this horrible smell which has been described as sulfur-like, was a common occurrence whenever the phenomena was around. This smell would continue to haunt the NITS team over the next few years and would even show up in their own command center. The smell would show up suddenly and without warning. It's also curious that demons are said to bring a sulfur smell with them. Hmm? Uh, a curious little thing that happened a little while later was that everyone... <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, go ahead. Was in the command center. <laughs> <laughs> Including Terry and Gwen. <laughs> One member of the Nits team. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All 
All right. So one member of the NIS team had turned on uh, turned on a magnetic detector for a quality check when it started to sound an alarm and was pointing in Gwen's direction. They moved it closer to Gwen and the signal got stronger. They ran several other machines and all pointed to Gwen. It was strongest about two feet away from her. And when she left, the signal stopped. She re-entered the command center and stood exactly where she had been, but the signal was gone. Mm. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and over the course of the year, more strange events would take place, which for the news team... What? They would remove any lingering doubt they held over the high strangeness occurring on the ranch. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so things seem to have calmed down for a little, for a few weeks. But then in May, after the NITS team figured out they could use the dog's biosensors, they had constructed three different enclosures on the parts of the property. The enclosures measured 80 feet by 20 feet by 15 feet high and were made of wire and chain. They kept close watch over these enclosures because whenever the dogs began to act erratically or nervously, the NIDS team knew something was close by and would be on alert. Apparently, they didn't watch them close enough, even though they had constructed platforms on the edges of the enclosure so they could watch them from up high. Over the next few weeks, the enclosures had been the focus of what seemed like very clever pranksters or poltergeist activity. The gates of the enclosures would be regularly opened and the dogs would be let loose. The padlocks would straight up disappear and so would the wire that held the inner doors together and they would never be seen again. This happened basically day after day, but nobody was ever seen near the enclosures. They even held stakeouts to try and capture whatever or whoever it was that let the dogs out 108 times over the course of a few weeks, but nothing was ever seen or heard. By the end of May, the poltergeist gave up on the dogs, and things around the property elsewhere were about to get weird. Yeah, and in early June, Eric Davis and Colm Kelleher were on one of their regular stakeouts. And they were in front of the ruined middle homestead, uh, the one that has not seen repair in a while. Did you and... say steak? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a... Uh... Steakout? <laughs> it's a steakout. <laughs> Your black Angus does sound good right about now. <laughs> That's true. Mm. Very good. And uh, this was uh, this middle homestead, the one that was in disrepair, was one of the most notorious hotspots for activity on the property. And they were looking out over the open field towards some trees, and Eric was scanning the distance with a pair of night vision goggles, and Colm was taking long exposure shots of the night sky. Suddenly, the dogs they were with began to whimper and cower behind their legs, and at the same time, Eric just took a sharp breath, and he said, Jesus, there's something in the trees over there. A huge black thing. Colm couldn't see anything, but then again, he didn't have the luxury of the night vision goggles. So he began to focus his camera on the trees. It's big. I don't know if it's in the trees or behind the trees. It's moving north. Colm continued taking pictures when Eric suddenly said, It's got me. It's saying, we are watching you. Eric kept muttering, Jesus Christ. And he kept saying this over and over as if he was expecting some inner turmoil. 
until finally he said that the object was moving away. Jesus Christ. When Colm and Jesus Eric, Christ. what was, was what just Christ. happened? Eric said that he didn't know. Jesus Christ. He couldn't explain it. It was as if whatever was in the trees had taken control of his mind. Jesus Christ. On their way back to the observation trailer, Colm noted just how jumpy his colleagues seemed to be. Jesus Christ. And he wondered if what he just experienced disturbed him much more than he was letting on. Jesus Christ. And over the course of the summer, the NIDS team would end up playing cat and mouse with the infamous orbs of light that were a frequent occurrence on the property. Jesus Christo. <laughs> but the orbs always seemed one step ahead, only appearing for brief moments and leading investigators on wild goose chases from one end of the ranch to the other as they tried to photograph these anomalies. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, all right. <clears throat> so on one of the NIDS trips to Vegas to be debriefed, Terry had experienced a scary event. While the NIDS team were gone, the cows had been acting strangely until finally one day they just randomly started to stampede and ended up breaking through the barbed wire fence that bordered the neighboring property. He would later tell the NITS team that an animal willing to break through a barbed wire fence has to be extremely terrified as it usually ends with lots of blood lost and possibly infected wounds. They had ended up in the neighbor's alfalfa field which can be very dangerous for cows to consume and even potentially deadly. When Terry saw that they had settled in the field, he went back to the homestead and phoned for his son to come help him wrangle them back onto the property. When they finally got out to the field where the cows were, they began moving the animals back in the direction of their ranch, but Terry noticed they seemed reluctant to move in that direction, possibly out of fear, and they would manage to get them a few hundred yards or so back toward the fence line, when they would all turn around and stampede back to where they came from. They tried several times to get them to go back, but every time they would stampede back after only a few hundred feet or so. Growing exhausted, Terry decided to try a new tactic. Instead of going directly north from their current position, he would move them to the east a ways before then trying to go north from there. This new route would take them a few yards away from a creek that had about a 15 foot drop to it. He managed to get the cattle moving when all of a sudden, uh, a golf ball sized blood red ball had flown directly at him and came within inches of his horse's head and caused the animal to panic and rear up in fear. Terry managed to calm the animal and saw that the red orb had flown towards the cattle, causing them to panic. He asked his son if he had seen anything and his son just nodded with the look of someone who was clearly very frightened. It was past midnight at this point and Terry told his son, let's give it another try. We gotta keep on moving. As he finished saying this to his son, another golf ball sized orb flew out of from, a, from out of nowhere and straight at his horse. This time, Terry could not keep control of the animal and it took off stampeding in the direction of the creek. He knew that he could not stop the animal. So 30 feet before they got to the 15 foot drop, he jumped off the horse and landed just feet from the edge. And the horse landed with a loud thud at the bottom of the creek, but miraculously was okay with no visible damage. As the horse made the climb back up the ridge to Terry, he 
uh, he had spent about 10 minutes trying to get the horse to let him mount again. As he mounted the horse, he realized the two orbs were still there and had been moving the rest of the cattle in the direction of the creek. But by the time they realized what was happening, the orbs had managed to get the cattle to fall down the drop into the creek below. When all was said and done, a few cows had been trampled and a few others had been hurt in the fall, and they managed to wrangle the cattle back to the ranch. Back at the property, he phoned his wife Gwen and had her meet them at the creek. He hung up and went back to check on the remaining cows in the creek and saw that a few of them had broken legs and they couldn't walk. So when Gwen got there, Terry headed for the truck and his son was coming up from the creek after trying to help the remaining cattle. When all of a sudden, Gwen let out a gasp and Terry turned to look at what she had seen. And there, sitting right above his son's head, was a blood red orb. They called out to the sun, and the orb took off toward Terry and Gwen and flew over their truck and then disappeared. When his son got to the car, they told him what they saw, and he said he didn't see anything, but right before they yelled at him, he did get that eerie feeling that he was being watched. As they were leaving the property, they noticed a bright blue ball seemingly watching them from the old homestead, but then it disappeared behind the home. And at the end of August, two of the team members would have one of the most frightening experiences. It was around 3.30 a.m., and they were sitting on the top of the ridge that was overlooking the notorious ruined middle homestead. Again, only one of them had the night vision binoculars, while the other was tending to various other scientific instruments and sensors. They had been standing up on the ridge for about three hours and were about to move to another location when Mike, the investigator with the binoculars, suddenly noticed a light appear in the pasture about 150 feet below. Bizarrely, his colleague, Jim, could only see a dull illumination, yet through the goggles, it appeared as bright as the moon. It was hovering about three feet off the ground, and Mike was going on about how it appeared to be growing in size. And then suddenly, Mike stopped and said, It's not a light. It's a tunnel. I can see through to the other side. Shatner, everybody. Shatner. <laughs> Christopher Walken. It, it, was, it was a mix. It was <laughs> and, and Jim asked his colleague if he could take a look, but Mike was, was transfixed on the phenomenon. There's something in the tunnel. He exclaimed. It's crawling out. So now we got Jim Carrey as Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> now, Mike's a voice actor, okay? <laughs> now... Much to Mike's utter disbelief, he could see a huge, black, featureless entity crawling on its elbows and knees from the other side of the tunnel. He then witnessed it climb out of the tunnel and run up to the side of a ridge faster than was humanly possible. Both of the investigators heard the shale crunch under its feet as it ran up past them about 30 feet away before it disappeared into the darkness. Immediately afterward, they were greeted by a terrifyingly eerie silence, just as an odd, musky odor hung in the air. Yeah, but can you imagine just sitting there thinking there's a wild animal somewhere around oh, yeah. you? Or like, not even an animal, a thing 
somewhere around Something. you. Yeah. Yeah. Just not knowing. Yeah. Crawling on its hands and knees. Just I like, mean, this thing was freaking jet black, right? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, black yeah. featureless. And so it's like, it had, like what no am I face? looking at? Yeah, I have no face. Like, is this, is this the, what's it called? The tall man? What's his name? Uh, uh, Slenderman? Slen yeah, is this Slenderman Slender coming at me? Like, oh, just sitting there in the silence at 3 a.m. Yeah, fuck that shit. Mm. Nope. Nah, I'm good, dude. I'll pass. Pass. So, by the end of 1997, the Nitz team were growing impatient and decided to take an active approach in capturing any footage of any occurrence on the property, but of course they never caught anything, or at least they haven't showed the world anything that they may have captured. Because remember, phase one was only supposed to be a few weeks, and this is months into it. Mm -hmm. So... These cameras were on a pole 15 feet up, and there were three of them on this one pole, and positioned in a way so that they would capture everything in a 360-degree angle around the pole. They also positioned three other cameras around 200 feet away that were pointed at the three cameras on the pole, because a lot of times, something would happen just slightly to the left or slightly to the right of the original cameras, so they said, fuck it, we're gonna point the cameras at the cameras. So, we're not gonna miss anything. It's, it makes sense, right? Oh, yeah. No, it, it makes sense. It's just <laughs> For like, sure. Yeah. Like, screw it. Cameras we're on cameras. Camera <laughs> yeah, we're going to have cameras watching cameras. So, one of the gnarliest events occurred at 8.30 p.m. one night, but wasn't noticed until the next day. As usual, the NITS team wasn't there, and Terry had to call them back from Vegas when he discovered that three of the cameras had gone out. When the NITS team arrived, they played back the footage until they found uh, what time they went out and were hoping to see if the cameras captured anything before they were shut off. When they played it back, they discovered that all three cameras had gone out at roughly the same time at 8.30, but they hadn't seen anyone or anything leading up to that time, so they were left completely baffled. Upon further inspection, the NITS team found that all three cameras had been physically shut off and all of the wiring had been pulled out of the cameras. They also found that all the duct tape that had been used to keep the three different wiring systems separate had all been stripped all the way down each individual cable. I'm talking all of it. All these cables went from 15 feet up high through PVC pipe down to beneath the ground. The duct tape had also been missing from the pole that was keeping the PVC pipe in place. They scoured the entire ranch in case the wind had blown it away, but they never found a single shred of that duct tape. They got super excited when they remembered that they had cameras on cameras and were super pumped to find that the other cameras were fine. So they ran those tapes back until the 8.30 timestamp was visible. The other cameras were 200 feet away, but still, they should be able to see... Oh, no. There you go. Am I good? Yeah, you're good. Okay. So the other cameras are 200 feet away, but still, they should be able to see their culprit ripping out the cables and stripping all the duct tape, because that's a lot of work. That's no yeah. easy task. Mm -hmm. But 8.30 came and went with no signs of anything at all. The NITS team took all the available tapes back to Vegas with them to have a professional team digitally enhance the tape. And little by little... Enhance. It, enhance. <laughs> enhance. And little by little, they were able to clean up and zoom enough to clearly see the other cameras. But again, 8.30 came and went with zero signs of anything. However, they did manage to zoom in enough to see the red lights of the cameras all go off simultaneously. Hmm. A few months later, when the NITS team were back in Vegas again, 
Terry and Gwen had been driving by the horse pen filled with horses Terry kept on the property because he got tired of driving the 25 miles back to his house to get his horse whenever he needed them. As they got closer and closer to the horses, uh, Gwen had noticed that the horses were kicking up a lot of dirt. And as they approached, they realized that there was a dog in the pen chasing the horses around. And as it nipped at their heels, the horses kicked and bucked to get away. When they finally pulled up, they could now... So, looks like when they finally pulled up, again, we're having some technical difficulties. Um, When they finally pulled up, they could now see the dog creature attacking their houses, um, which was intentionally playing with the horses and wasn't looking to harm them. Now, Terry described this creature as having the head of a dog, the body and the movement of a hyena, the short stubby legs of a boar, and the tail of a fox. However, the tail seemed comically large. He said the animal was a reddish brown, and as soon as Terry ran up to the pen, the combo beast took off in the opposite direction. The animal was spotted two other times by ranch hands and neighbors. Yeah, this, so, uh, this wasn't the first time freakish animals had appeared on the property. Um, aside from the bulletproof wolves that greeted them, they have also seen small, bright red birds that look tropical due to their color, but certainly were not. The birds would swarm around the property in a large cloud formation. It seems as though that there were thousands of them, and just as soon as they appeared, they disappeared. After that, Skinwalker Ranch had an infestation of large spiders that appeared everywhere. But just like the birds, they were gone one day and were never seen again. Bro. Fuck that shit, dude. What is this, Australia? (laughs) Yeah. See bright red birds, like, forming a cloud formation, just cruising around. Bro. The birds I could deal with, but the spiders, like, that's... Yeah, spiders, yeah. I can't deal with that shit, man. Fuck spiders. I don't know. I would like to not fuck spiders. How large, yeah, and how large are we talking about? You uh, get like, like hand-sized spiders cruising around your house. Oh, hell no. Get the fire extinguisher. Get the yeah. Start it with flames. Burn the whole ranch. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Now, in many ways, the things that the Nids team witnessed were every bit as frightening, bizarre, and inexplicable as the activity the Shermans had experienced. They saw the same orbs of light zipping through the fields and tree lines, metallic UFOs hovering over the property, strange creatures and portal-like anomalies, and they witnessed firsthand the cattle mutilations. They experienced the poltergeist-like activity, strange odors, magnetic fields, they heard strange noises underground, and many other things. But by mid-1998, the activity started to decline and it would remain that way for many years afterwards until the team finally pulled the plug and left the property in 2004. Now, they had not succeeded in explaining the strange activity that was occurring, but for the time being, at least they had succeeded in putting an end to the activity on the ranch, even if this was not the outcome they were looking for. There is common belief among skeptics that the team failed to gather any supporting evidence and in some ways, this is true, but not entirely accurate. Yeah, but spending eight eight years on a property to research this and then really only experiencing stuff for the first two years, it kind of makes you wonder if Terry was right and they came in too fast, too hard. You know what I mean? They, they had no finesse in their tact. Yeah, it was just a, a very blunt force. Yeah. Like, you know, just let's go in there and do the thing. Needed think, yeah, a lot more finesse. Because a lot of times, like the tropes are... 
you don't want to see it, so it shows itself to you. But if you're right. looking for it, you know, you're not going to find you're it. You're not going to see it. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you want it too much. You know, it's, you got to let it come to you. Maybe. Exactly. So they did succeed in recording some of the anomalies on film. In fact, so did Terry Sherman when he owned the ranch. And some of this can be seen in Jeremy Corbell's documentary, Hunts for the Skinwalker, which is based on Colm Kelleher's and George Knapp's book of the same name. Now, most of this video evidence was rejected by the NIDS advisory board as the majority of the recording took place at night and captured the most common phenomena, which was the orbs of light. Unfortunately, due to the darkness, these recordings only depicted what looked like indistinct points of light in the night sky or off in the distance and were pretty mundane. Maybe um, How I Met Your Mother is right and everything paranormal is blurry. Like there's just large blurry <laughs> creatures out there. Bigfoot's, <laughs> yeah, that's the... Bigfoot's blurry, aliens are blurry, everything's blurry. And that's why yeah. we can't capture anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? But the points the NIDS team made in the aftermath of their investigation was that whatever was haunting the ranch did not like intrusion. It did not want to be investigated, and it always seemed to be one step ahead and seemed to be completely in control. Equipment would just inexplicably fail at the most inopportune times. The phenomena seemed to know when the team was waiting for something to happen, and when something did happen, it would occur just outside the camera's field of view and would be far too brief to record in any case. The activity was nearly always one of a kind, and it rarely, if ever, repeated itself. And if it did, it would be in a completely different place to where the cameras were trained. It was extremely frustrating for those involved in the investigation, and Robert Bigelow himself would go on to describe the phenomena as a cognitive sentient intelligence. Now, despite all of this, there are hundreds of documented eyewitness accounts, um, and not just from the NIDS team, but also from neighbors, residents of the Uinta Basin, and people who have since visited the ranch out of curiosity. Skinwalker Ranch is a rich tapestry of strange occurrences, and it's far too bizarre and unbelievable for many to accept, but if there is any truth to the claims, and if there are explanations, what could they be? So, it's theory time, folks. So, yeah, let's start brainstorming and, you know, let's solve this legendary case that is Skinwalker Ranch. So, I'll be covering a number of different theories and you guys can email us. Um, You can comment on our social media or leave us a voicemail at uh, anchor.fm as to what is your favorite theory about this whole incident. So, if, you know, we like what you have to say we may even include it in a future episode of bloodthirsty times so speaking of which um, we'll go ahead and air our first message from one of our dedicated listeners shit guys it's josh long time listener first time caller you guys man that skinwalker part one you had me you had me in the first half and the second half man you guys brought the comedy there was the drama there was the monsters I'm at work. It's almost 3 a.m. I'm in. I'm on the second floor in a dark room on a seat looking out my window, hoping I don't see any blue orbs or any eyes I don't want to be staring into. You know, like, I need me a Terry. Everybody needs a Terry. But, dude, that last episode, it reminded me of the days back in Mexico when I was younger, going back downstairs to get a drink. 
it's like 2 or 3 a.m. there, and I see these red eyes just glowing right back at me from the patio. Man, I, it took me back. You guys made my, screen, my skin crawl with this one. You guys are doing good, man. Like, keep it up. I'm loving the content, loving everything about it. Pingo, man, you, you're killing it, bro, with those, uh, those insiders. I love it. Awesome, man. That's, that's really cool to hear that, you know, we have, uh, you know, people that are listening and really enjoying it too. And we also hope yeah. that you guys that are listening as well, enjoy the content. And, um, if you guys want, you know, we'll just send us a message and we'll review it. And, you know, you might even have a chance to be aired on, on an episode as well. And we also want to give a shout out to our first and top fan, only top fan, Nava, who is uh, a pretty good friend of ours, but, uh, yeah, she's also one of our top fans as well. Thanks Nava. Thank you. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into some possible theories surrounding the strange events. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into this one here. So let's first of all address the. Yeah, we had the piano man yeah. still on. Yeah, or retainer. <laughs> What's his name? Called, retainer. Richard. Richard the penis. Yeah, Richard yeah. the penis. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we have him on retainer. So anyway, the let's address the elephant in the room. Could this whole thing have been an elaborate hoax? Now. Were the Shermans faking the phenomena to offload a property, which had in fact turned out to be a financial disaster? They had lost a lot of cattle and were on the verge of bankruptcy, but why invent such crazy stories after all? Well, he, he had, what, 80 cattle on the property and he lost uh, 14 of them or something like that? Like, mm -hmm. he lost like 20% of his cattle, which to a farmer or cattle rancher is... Yeah, it's way too much. Like I said in the first episode, one percent is unacceptable, yeah. and most only lose five percent. So twenty percent is devastating. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Yeah, it's a lot. Now, surely you know these stories would tarnish the reputation and ultimately devalue the land. You know, not only this, but UFOs and strange creatures had been seen and reported in the region for centuries, and neighbors of the Shermans reported similar activities on their land as well. So this somewhat suggests that the phenomena was not unique to Skinwalker Ranch, and by extension, not the product of the Sherman's imaginations. They could not have invented hundreds of years worth of experiences. Add into the fact that Robert Bigelow was convinced enough to purchase the property, as well as invest millions in a decade-long study that the phenomena was also witnessed by the investigative team. As it happens, they were PhD professors and initially skeptical. So some skeptics have argued that this was all a ploy created by George Knapp and Robert Bigelow to turn the ranch into a sort of supernatural tourist hotspot. But one, this hasn't happened. Uh, Robert Bigelow held onto the property for 20 years and the only thing that changed was the front gate. Uh, and two, consider again the accounts of the locals which stretch back for centuries. These experiences were there long before Bigelow, long before Knapp, or even the Shermans had anything to do with the ranch. So if it's not a hoax, what else could have been occurring? Well, not to mention also, Robert Bigelow had some of his NIDS team at the same time as uh, the Skinwalker Ranch. He sent a few of his people out to Dulce, New Mexico, which is said to be another hotspot for pretty much almost similar uh, versions of Skinwalker Ranch. Like just in a different part of the country and he wanted to like get like a, a comparative baseline you know what i mean like if it's happening mm -hmm. here it's also happening in dulce new mexico um, oh, right 
because like in dual state new mexico they've they've reported large ufo crafts like spanning one of the guys said it was spanning like the the depth of the canyon which was about a mile across and he Mm -hmm. saw this huge craft so that you know these places aren't singular they're rare but you know it happens other places too yeah it's also kind of weird when you think about the locations of these incidents very isolated isolated yeah well yeah i mean nevada new mexico Mm -hmm. colorado it's all following this like channel it's a pattern Yeah. yeah so it's it's definitely interesting and actually we we do have a clip here from robert the big bucks bigelow uh, himself in an interview with Mystery Wire discussing the events of the Skinwalker Ranch. And he kind of goes on to detail exactly what you were kind of talking about a little bit there, Will. So this is the voice of Robert Bigelow himself. So many, so many things happen that in the Uinta Basin in general, and then specifically on certain ranches, and even more specifically on the Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, but all kinds of events and activities happened in broad daylight or at nighttime at all kinds of places throughout that whole area. And the police were, were very aware of these things. And they had terrific encounters of their own. And we were told a lot of these stories. We interviewed a lot of people you know, in the area as researchers so that we had a good idea of what other ranchers were encountering. Was it just us? No, it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us 480 acres on Skinwalker Ranch. It was peripheral to that ranch as well. Things were happening all over the place. I mean, some really, I mean, if you thought that it was the, the events on the Skinwalker Ranch were wild ass events, oh no, just go to the next ranch right next door and listen to their stories. So it's very interesting that, you know, this Skinwalker Ranch might be one of the hot spots, but again, in this area, this is something that has been occurring to that entire region. So it's mm-hmm. not particular to that one place. You and like these wild ass events. Yeah. These wild, these wild ass, ass events. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this leads to another theory is that if it's not a hoax, then what else could be happening? Were the visitors of the ranch suffering from some sort of mass delusion? It is not impossible, but highly unlikely given the sheer amount of people involved. As already mentioned, NIDS carried out a battery of tests to rule out any environmental factors, and they found no common thread in the psychological profiling of the people they talked to, and even themselves, which would point to mass delusion. Not only that, but in many cases, physical evidence was left behind, like footprints, mutilated cattle, vaporized dogs, and detectable magnetic fields, amongst many other things. So these physical signs were not imagined. Yeah, like the the stripping of the cameras, like mm-hmm. that happened. Mm-hmm. And then we said the cameras are facing those cameras. So if someone had taken the time to destroy these cameras, they would have been seen. Yeah, but absolutely. nothing would've, was seen. But picked them up. But the cameras were destroyed nonetheless. Like yeah. literally ripped cables out, like pulled it out. So yeah. I mean, he can't make that up. You know, what I mean, Terry can't go up there and pull. It's like, ha ha, I got you, bitch. Like. <laughs> Just pulling up. Yeah, got the cables. These are my cables now, my property. So um, now p- perhaps the most popular theory amongst people who believe the phenomena to be real is that the ranch was the scene of extraterrestrial visitation. Now, while it's true that many UFOs, strange craft, and creatures were seen, 
Anything that was left behind by the phenomena was later studied by the NIDS team, which only yielded terrestrial signatures. Now, this does not entirely rule out the involvement of extraterrestrials, but it certainly points in other directions. For instance, the other theory is, could there be any truth to the Native American legends regarding skinwalkers? After all, the Utes firmly believed that the Navajo put a curse on their land after the latter was pushed out of northeastern Utah. Now, many of the things witnessed on the ranch do seem to fit in with how Native Americans describe skinwalkers, but certainly not all of the phenomena can be attributed to these particular entities. Although a lot, a lot of it can, right, Will? Like you were saying last mm-hmm. last episode, like the the poltergeist activity, the wild animals, the uh, mm-hmm. people appearing at the end of your bed, like <clears throat> get out of my house, skinwalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well when the two researchers saw the the black figure and it was running around at crazy speeds that points towards skinwalker i mean there's there's also been other like eyewitness stuff of uh like there's a a couple driving on the road next to this german property and they saw like uh, a creature running like maybe bigfoot ish or maybe a skinwalker but it was running next to them keeping Mm -hmm. pace yeah, keep keeping pace with their car and it was going That's... in the direction of the skinwalker ranch and they're just watching this man beast <laughs> 60 miles an hour you know what i mean just running crack to the ranch head. yeah oh okay yeah that explains it yeah <laughs> this is a bunch yeah. of crackheads yeah <laughs> trying to get it trying to get a dollar yeah exactly you guys got time i, I, I got hello can you see me <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh man i mean it that portion too kind of explains the musk as well mm-hmm. right because if they're wearing pelts of old rotted beasts yeah. yeah you would get that that musk scent yeah i mean it's definitely um very strange because it's it's something that you know it has a very particular smell so it, it's it could be attributed to many many different things so we just don't know but it is one of the theories hence you know it is called skinwalker ranch for i guess the only reason. thing it doesn't account for is the lights the orbs and right. i think they said that a few times they saw the sombrero type uh ufos right like a few times they saw actual like silver ufos like, oh, that like the like classic disc shaped ones yeah they call them the sombreros or yep. the, Mex- the mexican hat you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah they saw a few of those so i guess it doesn't account for that part of it but a lot of it skinwalker does cover pretty well yeah i mean it does definitely fit a lot of the uh you know some of the lore of the native americans oh, maybe brian maybe it's yeti aliens <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeti alien skinwalkers there we go um now the another theory that's been widely considered is the possibility that the military was somehow responsible for the strange occurrences terry sherman certainly seemed to think so now it is indeed plausible that the military used the secluded ranch to test out advanced and secretive technologies with the residents becoming unwitting guinea pigs in experiments involving psychological warfare interestingly the NIDS advisory board contacted a number of remote viewers and asked them to examine the property. And if you guys don't know what a remote viewer is, um, there's actually a, uh, a movie that's kind of based on it. It's a, it's a comedy called The Men Who Stare at Goats, starring George Clooney. Uh, you know, pretty funny movie, but it is kind of alluding to the fact that the CIA have studied remote viewing uh, 
for over 30 years. And in many cases, the you know, while it's been controversial, the results have been astounding. Now, uh, explain to the dumb people like me what the fuck remote viewing is. So it's essentially like um, there's one person who would be like asked to focus on a very specific area or object. Um, like one of the tests would be like there would be a number of boxes uh, or like cabinets on a wall and they would be like, what's behind box number three? And this person would just focus on that box and they would say, oh, it's a key or it's a you know, playing card. They would open it up and then that's what it was inside with having no prior knowledge of what it is. Yeah, so, like other tests would involve, like they would give them coordinates and they would say, what is at these coordinates, even if it's hundreds of miles away? Mm-hmm. And they would describe, um, actually one of the famous tests, they described like a whole area that was really nicely done with like trees lining the road. And there was like mm-hmm. a, a, a rock, um, like, welcoming sign and that was actually the entrance to a secret government area and so oh, wow. so when he found that they're like all right all right stop 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 you know like oh, yeah. you know, like and you know that stuff like that like you're able to picture an area mm-hmm. without ever having been there mm-hmm. or um know what's there to begin with you know what i mean so you can right. remotely view uh something yeah, while you're not even, you don't have to be anywhere near the vicinity of that area. Yeah, so, never been there before type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the first remote viewer oh, well, had... Oh, actually, Will, uh, sorry, uh, Stranger Things, that's that's remote viewing. You know, when she goes into the darker place and can see, like, um, their, her friends talking about her, that's... Oh, yeah. That's remote okay. viewing. Okay. Yeah, and Stranger Things, that's also another really interesting, too, what we'll probably be covering at some point. Um but uh, the first remote viewer had no information about the ranch or any knowledge of what had taken place there, yet he was able to produce an almost exact sketch of its layout, including three homesteads, the creek, the canal, and the ridge. And he also pinpointed an area uh, on the southwestern part of the ranch, stating that there was an energy field there which was described as disturbing. Another remote viewer stated that the second homestead where some of the most disturbing phenomena took place was the site of weird energy vortices. Now, the third remote viewer was asked to describe what happened during the daylight mutilation of the calf. And he got the impression that it was carried out by a drone of interdimensional nature and that it had some connection to the military. And another remote viewing exercise conducted by multiple people described the ranch as the site of a military operation. Three of the five participants independently perceived an underground base and a large network of electronic equipment and wires that had been embedded in the ground. Others saw Navy personnel in dark sunglasses and sporting Navy tattoos reporting that much of the activity was taking place outdoors and at night and was somehow linked to an aircraft carrier. Another of the group perceived humanoid figures who spoke in strange languages and were seen to be working alongside human beings. So the last ones that were described, doesn't that fit with the noises, like the mechanical noises he heard yeah. underground? Like, yeah. Almost like so, gears? Like gears? Yeah, there was um, definitely that. It, it was on Skinwalker Ranch that they reported there were sounds of like heavy machinery yeah, being under, moved or yeah. like railroads or something. But it wasn't also just them, like the neighbors on the neighboring ranch also heard the same things as well. 
So um, they were hearing something heavy underneath their feet. They just didn't know what it was. Now, while it's true that the military could have been involved, there are problems with this suggestion. For instance, what of the strange creatures that were seen or the orbs of light that could affect human emotions? What about the portal-like structures or the fact that the phenomena stretches back a time before the US military was even conceived? Unless there are other intelligences evolved which have since invited the collaboration with human beings and the military industrial complex. So maybe there was a- Ancient aliens, maybe? that's certainly what they seem to be alluding to it we just don't know like maybe there's a collaboration maybe not i mean it's a very wild theory for sure so um it's it's really interesting that someone would come up with something like that but Mm -hmm. overall it was said that all the remote viewers came away with the task with feelings of dread darkness and death and a notion that whatever is taking place at the ranch is inherently evil demons demons maybe who knows dude yeah so there's definitely something uh, dark going on there now another theory that people have come up with is that uh, they describe the property as an interdimensional gateway where entities of all kinds have the ability to drop into our reality at will and at will. leave just as quickly yep they, they come at you will they come at yeah. you <laughs> get all the interdimensional travelers <laughs> now some have even suggested that maybe all the paranormal and supernatural phenomena reported all over the world, from cryptids to aliens and poltergeists to UFOs, all have come from the same place. We see fleeting glimpses of them when they choose to show themselves to us, but then are, there are certain, like, certain epicenters where all these phenomena leak through in mass. And maybe Skinwalker Ranch is just one of those hotspots. Well, another theory that um, not even just this case particularly, but aliens in general, is that aliens don't exist, but it's us who have discovered time travel and how to conceal ourselves when we do go back to, you know, visually see history. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're human. So humans, even in the future, still human, they make mistakes. So when we do see them, they're like glitches or uh you know mistakes made by the you know the pilot to reveal themselves when they were never supposed to mm-hmm. because you know maybe because technology is moving forward we we don't see them as much but back in the day when there was no technology to be captured they would rather go back then because history wasn't as well documented every day like everyday life because anyone 90 years from now like oh what was life 90 years ago just go on facebook you know, yeah. go, oh, yeah. go look at the internet and you'll mm-hmm. see exactly what that person ate on this day. But, right. you know, back, you know, just a few years ago when everything wasn't recorded, they're more curious about that time frame because it's not as openly available. So maybe right. it's just us from the future coming to research history. And, right. and maybe because we are talking about Skinwalker Ranch, maybe it's a, a loop of, uh, what is going on at the property and other people are curious like is really something going on at the property you know they're curious so they come and investigate it for themselves like who knows and it's really interesting that you mentioned that particular time frame too because um you know aside from you know things not being as well documented earlier in the earlier days it also serves as kind of a bonus because they will 
not be as easily documented themselves if they do expose themselves to them. So yeah. um, they wouldn't have like the cameras to record them or they don't have things to record what they're seeing aside from just stories and eyewitness accounts. Yeah. Um, which, so, which a lot of people can just chalk up to like, yeah, this guy's a fucking oh, man, weirdo. Is that, crazy, is that crazy Joe talking about you? Crazy Joe. Classic crazy Joe. He just got back from running 60 miles an hour to the ranch. You know, yeah, yeah give, give him a break. <laughs> He's tired. Now, exactly. Now, whatever it is that haunts the property, it is clearly intelligent, um, but its agenda remains unclear. Now, it was certainly able to differentiate between animals and humans, as no person that has ever stepped foot on the ranch was ever harmed. On the other hand, countless cats, dogs, cattle, and even wildlife were mutilated indiscriminately but it is no worse than what we have done to the animals ourselves. Now, the intelligence behind the activity did seem to enjoy tormenting the Shermans. And later, the NIDS team, uh, they would also enjoy tormenting them as well. Now, at some time, it seemed, uh, you know, it was able to read people's minds and listen in on private conversations, such as when Gwen mentioned to Terry the possibility of losing the bulls. Now, it acted on that bit of information without hesitation, much like a trickster or prankster would do. And at times, it almost seemed omnipotent. Well, yeah, because remember, the smell ended up inside the command center multiple mm -hmm. times. And we, we know that it's invisible because it parts the cows, no problem. So, you know, who knows where it could be? It could be watching you pee, you know, it could be wherever you know <laughs> just right behind you right now <laughs> oh my god now more than 20 years later the shermans have closed the book on their ordeal they moved on to idaho and started a new life and they may never know what it was that destroyed their dreams completely robert bigelow held on to the ranch for many years afterwards and the activity was sporadic through the early 2000s but it never did quite reach the same level of strangeness it did in the mid to late 90s. Eventually, he sold the property to Adamantium Real Estate in 2016. That's real. Yeah, that's, that's a real name. <laughs> Adamantium, that's Adamantium yeah. definitely not a shell corporation. No, definitely um, not. <laughs> in 2016, with the condition that the research would continue. Almost immediately after the sale went through, the activity experienced a huge spike. UFOs have been seen photographed directly over the homestead. Actually, the, and, with the new owners, there's a new show on Hulu called um, The Hunt for Skinwalker. Or, uh, it's a new show on, on Hulu. It's like a series, a docuseries. Yeah. And it, it follows new researchers with cameras on at all times, like everywhere. Yeah. Uh, because before, they didn't really allow that. They just had the stationary cameras, but they didn't have like a camera crew uh following like people live around. recording or streaming yeah and, and in, the, in the new show i watched it this past week and um it, it does have some interesting things like they actually dig into the property uh even though they weren't supposed to you know what i mean yep. mm -hmm. and uh two days later something attacked their uh llamas they had or maybe the next day something because it didn't happen right away so something happened later but right. they also found that in the ridges uh, where they used to take their walks like remember when gwen got attacked by the bats yeah or whatever mm -hmm. it was uh in the ridges up there there's like caves that go down and inside the caves there's huge magnetic spikes that aren't constant but they're there 
and uh they also it's really cool image if i can find it i'll post it on the on the socials it's an image of the property with a magnetic field uh and infrared light combined together and it shows that there's like a concentration of beams in the area by the second homestead like Hmm. of magnetic and and infrared beams and it's actually you know it's pretty cool to watch because you know, it's interesting as it is, and they have cameras on them at all times. It's a bit too uh, dramatic, and uh, what's that? What's that type of show called? Um, like uh, real? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, reality TV. Yeah, reality or... TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got its drama. You know, there's a security mm-hmm. guard who is always like, "We gotta put your safety first, man." Like, oh you know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they yeah. Have, the they walk around with guns and stuff. Like I'm a tough guy. <laughs> I think his name yeah. is Dragon or something like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's Dragon, the security guard. But you know, he, he's just doing his job. It's just like, all right, yeah. man, let let the scientists do their do the, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If they Science. if Come they want to if they want to put themselves in danger, I'm all for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Exactly. He's gonna yeah. start shooting at everything and everything. And he just <laughs> magnetic. Oh. It, it really is worth a watch if you're interested in this at all, because they they do all mm-hmm. kinds of experiments. They launch a rocket into the air and to see if they get a reaction, and they see like a little blip of something like watching them, and then they they launch a balloon up in the sky. I don't know. It's it's cool to watch just how they go through their scientific experiments. Cool. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah didn't even know that existed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. So also. Um, in Jeremy Corbell's documentary, because he also did one as well, it's called Hunt for the Skinwalker, which was based off of the book. He asked the new homeowner what he says to those who doubt if the phenomena is real. And then the new homeowner simply just says, you're delusional. Now, whatever the case may be, only time will tell if there is any truth to the tales of Skinwalker Ranch. So that's pretty much it that uh you know that's all we have time for uh, that's wraps up everything regarding skinwalker ranch um you know if you have your own theories on what may be happening there you're more than welcome to go ahead and comment on our socials or uh, shoot us a voicemail or an email and you know we'll definitely take you know take a look and see what's what's going on with those yeah the the voicemails send them to anchor.fm um, I think you can download Anchor, the app as well. And you can find us, you can listen to our podcast on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, these, do you think they're making this all up and all of them are just looking out for money? Although I don't know why they would be looking out for money. Bob Bigelow has a lot of money and he's yeah. just throwing it out there. And he got, he actually yeah. got like a $22 million contract from the government too. So, mm-hmm. you know, he has plenty of money. So I don't know. He was not out for fame. I don't know. What reason could the Shermans have? for making this up, you know, aside from right. trying to get rid of the property, but then he stayed on the property. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So it just, there's all these things that could be possible that it is made up. Everyone's in on it. They're just trying to, you know, say that this is real. Yeah. Yeah. Get a, get a quick payday. Cause yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but again, the dude's thing. well off and he pays their scientists well. And plus the scientific community does not look at, paranormal as valid or anything so if you are a scientist no, they, they look, yeah they look for the science yeah so if you're a scientist who does it you're kind of ridiculed and like taken as a joke and it could completely yeah. destroy your career mm-hmm. so the fact that they that's why they didn't really want their names uh told at first but then two of the scientists came out you know once they were discovered and the other ones still remain anonymous because like i said no one wants to be associated with this you know pseudoscience they call it yeah so what what reason do these people have to put their whole careers on the line Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely interesting i mean it's 
there's a lot of different elements that are, you know, attributed to this particular case. And that's why I found it so interesting is because even as wild as the stories are, you know, regarding a lot of different things, it's, it's just crazy to me that somebody like if somebody did come up with just this story, there's so many different parts to it. Um, like that is just, and if it is made up, that is a really like overactive imagination. Like there's mm-hmm. so many different things involved. Like, how does somebody come up with all that stuff? Mutilations and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the cattle mutilations and everything. So yeah, and what's that old saying that two can keep a secret if one of them is dead? Like you're gonna kill twenty people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. right, because yeah, there's a lot of people involved. Yeah. So yeah, they all kind of say the same thing. So, um, but yeah, that uh, that wraps up our two part series on Skinwalker Ranch. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Yep. Uh, make sure to send those emails to bloodthirstypod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and we'll see you later. Yep. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, and yeah, you guys uh, have a good one. Catch you later. Love you. Make sure to follow. And listen. And follow. And tell your friends. And listen. Jesus Christ. And follow. Jesus tell your Christ. Friends. Jesus Christ. And follow. Tell your friends, everybody. And listen. Follow.